A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Jonathan Quinn, who is the Director of Market Development and Sustainability at Pregis. He leads the market segmentation strategy and execution along with all facets of flexible packaging sustainability. Jonathan joined Pregis in June of 2021 and also has a history in the plastic packaging and marketing at companies including Nova and ITW. Jonathan's a recognized expert in packaging sustainability, which is a really hot topic these days, and was recently named in the top 40 under 40 by Waste360. So that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Jonathan, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to jump into the conversation. Thanks. I appreciate you joining me today. So let's just get started. What's your origin story? How did you get interested in packaging? I think this is becoming a more and more uh, publicized story. And I say that half joking, but I grew up around the flexible packaging industry. Uh, I have pictures of me in a box of resin when I was two. I was in the lab doing testing when I was five because it's what I thought was the cool thing to do. My dad was a CEO of a number of flexible packaging companies. And I'm actually the third generation of my family that's in the packaging industry. Is my, my grandfather was a press operator before my dad. But that's really where the, the fire came from. And, and I mean, growing up, my dream was always to work and be in the packaging industry. I knew I always wanted to be on the kind of the commercial side of things. And that's where my dream came to go to Clemson and study packaging. And that's what I did. And now I also have my, my younger brother as well as in the industry. So it's really become a family affair, I guess you could say. That's really interesting because I don't think we often hear that, that packaging is the family business, but that makes sense. You studied it, you lived in it, you've worked in it. What's the biggest misconception today about plastics and packaging? I'm sure that like when you're out and about, your friends wonder why you're doing this or they have something to say. But what do you see as some of the biggest misconceptions that exist across consumer and public perception about packaging? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I would say, I think we all know and we've all heard it, but that plastic is evil. And and to your point about your friends knowing what industry and things of that nature, me and my wife were maybe four years ago, we were at a wedding. And we met these people and we were discussing what I did, what she did. And she actually explained that I was in the plastics industry and packaging. And that was when I was working at Nova. And they looked at me like I was like evil because we were in Florida at a wedding on a beach. And it was supposed to be this fantastic thing. And sitting there, the, the evil guy standing on the beach that works for the plastics industry. And without missing a beat, my wife jumps in and kind of said, 
no, not evil. Plastic isn't bad. And she goes, buy plastic, live fantastic. I was like, wow, where did that come from? It was one of like those like proud moments of like your wife standing up for you. But we turned that buy plastic, live fantastic into a hashtag to try and be able to promote the value of flexible packaging, to promote the value of plastic. Because at the end of the day, plastic provides and enables the everyday life of the everyday consumer. And it, plastic is not evil. And we really have to help make sure the consumer understands that. And every opportunity that I have, that's one of the things that I look for. And I have two kids and my hope is that they want to be a part of the plastic and and flexible packaging industry one day and that they're proud to be a part of it. I don't want them to have to go to school and worry about somebody saying, no, your dad's evil because he works in plastic. We've got to enable them and give them the ammunition to also help promote the value of, of plastic packaging, but it starts with the consumer. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm old enough that I've seen some of the evolution in packaging, even something like milk bottles, right? Like which used to be in paperboard, coated paperboard, right? That eventually they migrated to plastic gallons and that was awesome. Or sodas starting from glass bottles. And I remember the first two liter bottle I saw, I was like, Whoa, what is this? And there's also, who could drink that much soda? Well, as it turns out, a lot of consumers can't, right? So I think sometimes individuals, if they've not seen the evolution of how plastics has contributed to lightweighting, contributed to longevity of food, all the contributions it's made, it's easy just to see, oh, I use it and then I dispose of it, right? And so not understanding what the use case is really. So in fact, what's interesting is McKinsey recently published the Climate Impact of Plastics study, which really looked at life cycle analysis of plastics packaging in particular, and concluded that plastics have a lower total greenhouse gas contribution than alternatives in most applications, right? Something like 13 out of 14 categories, plastics is better. And yet, to your point, people don't really understand that. So How do we change that narrative? What do you see working to change the narrative, if anything? Yeah, so I think one of the big things, and just similar to you, if you reflected back on to the evolution of glass and Coke and carbonated beverages and that transition, if I reflect back to when I was in elementary school and younger, it was always about save the toucan, save the trees, Like we can't cut down the rainforest so that we can have paper. We have to come up with different ways. And then in addition to that, it was don't smoke. And what do we do with that stop smoking campaign? We take all that messaging and we bring it home. And the same is true now. I think there's a real opportunity to educate consumers and educate at younger levels, educating kids and the schools, educating the teachers in the schools and creating science-based programs for them to implement and educate so that they're all taking this message and bringing it home and building off of it. And that's where I see there being a critical opportunity to make sure that the misinformation and misunderstanding doesn't continue to fester in the younger generations, but they're actually able to bring up and showcase that. So showing them and bringing awareness and overall value for materials and showcasing to them how they can recycle flexible materials. Because that's one of the biggest challenges is that there's not 
curbside recycling of flexible materials. So there's a number of things that are at play there, but creating and leveraging those programs for younger people, I think is probably one of the greatest opportunities that we have. Yeah. Do those programs exist yet? Like, so I know you're involved pretty heavily with Flexible Packaging, Packaging Association, maybe others. Do you see those programs coming to fruition? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the fundamental and foundational reasons in why I started the Emerging Leadership Council within the Flexible Packaging Association was to create opportunities to educate at the younger levels, to create, call it modules for member companies to be able to leverage and go out and educate in their communities about the value of flexible packaging and the value around plastics recycling. That's one of the things I would say that has kind of taken off. And then if you look at like the Trex program that exists where they create basically challenges, there's challenges that are out there between schools. There's ways to create collection in schools to bring flexible materials into the school to recycle versus having to take those to the grocery store. So it enables the students to see how by bringing in your flexible materials, once they collect 500 pounds, for example, within six month period, they get a free bench made out of Trex decking board, which that helps the students to understand that there's multiple lives that this plastic packaging can have. Yeah, that's interesting. I've actually heard about that program and I've spoken to a couple people about it because it should really be widespread in schools, right? We should be encouraging this. In fact, I will make sure a link gets added into the show notes on this because I think that's an easy way for people to get access to that. Yeah. And it's something that you can do, that people can do that are watching, that they can do in their own offices. So I did this at Nova and we've also now done this and rolled it out across the board at Pregis. And it's probably one of the coolest things that has happened since I've been at Pregis. So the goal and the target is to hit 500 pounds over a six-month period. In our Grand Rapids facility, we have about close 150, 200 employees, call it, in Grand Rapids. They were able to collect in the first six weeks, 2,000 pounds of flexible materials that they brought outside the house or outside the plant. And why is that such a big deal? Well, that 500 pounds is the equivalent to 42,000 grocery bags. That's a lot of film. That's a lot of material. We've had one employee who created a partnership with a food bank, a local food bank, to get their flexible materials because they weren't recycling it and brought that material in. And so now it's created a connection and an education opportunity for that food bank, plus us working collaboratively and collectively to increase the amount of flexible material being recycled and to showcase that, again, that value of flexible packaging recycling. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really cool. And I think just the whole network effect of it, right? Because I think, you know, as you say, one of the challenges is people get these items, let's just say grocery bags. And in theory, it's nice to say, I'm always going to have a, I'm going to bring my own bag to the grocery store. Well, for me personally, COVID changed all of that. I used to really go to the grocery store. I would bring my own bags. And then COVID started, they don't want your bags because they might be dirty, right? And then I have converted to much more online shopping and just picking it up at the store. All I can do is figure out a way to recycle it, which fortunately the stores take them, take most stores take the bags back, but it's still, it's just, it's a hassle, right? And so, but creating that awareness and turning it into something good is useful. 
Yeah, I would tell you. So, I mean, that's part of what I, when I talk about why we did what we did in our plants is Pretus is traditionally a protective packaging company. We've seen tremendous growth over the past few years. I mean, even over the course of the past five years, not just COVID related, because the mind of the consumer and that convenience has shifted and you're not different than many consumers in that you're focusing and you're spending more time and buying online versus going to the store. What we have to think about is that how do we enable and make recycling convenient and thoughtless? And what you have to think about is pre-pandemic, the average home parcel deliveries per household was 152 e-commerce deliveries, home parcel deliveries per year. In post-pandemic, it is exceeded 200 times per household. So what does that mean? Well, that means that there's 200 opportunities to pick up those flexible materials and take them back because all of those delivery vehicles, they end up going back empty. So there's a way to create program and infrastructure to enable and make it easy. Even if you just focus it, just focus it on mailers and air pillows and bubble and things of that nature, you're able to create a significant increase in the amount of plastic and flexible plastic material that's being collected. And it's oftentimes the cleanest. And in most times it's often, it is the cleanest yeah, stream. makes sense. And it helps to take that inconvenience associated with flexible film or flexible material recycling out of the, the mix. Yeah. And of course, recycling film is critical to the whole advanced recycling processes and infrastructure that's being built, right? So, I mean, I think if we look at the the change over the past couple of years, heavy emphasis, we're starting to see real commercialization of advanced recycling to turn these flexible packaging films into a chemical feedstock to go back into plastics, polyethylene manufacturing, et cetera. Certainly a high emphasis from major corporations, certainly a high emphasis from consumer products companies to increase recycled content, recyclability. And yet, sometimes to a certain degree, wonder, do consumers care? And do they care enough to do the work to make that happen? But it's kind of putting the rest of the puzzle together, which it sounds like you're working, at least in your sphere of influence, to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the caring is one thing, but the knowing is the other aspect. And that's, I think, the other critical part of the conversation. And when we talk about consumer... At the end of the day, there's a lot of legislation that's being done today. And who's making that legislation? Who's bringing that legislation forward? It's a consumer. And we have to make sure that the legislators understand the decisions that they're making, the proposals that they're bringing forward, and the impact and consequence of those would have. And I think that's a lot of what you brought up, advanced recycling. And there's a number of states that don't support advanced recycling. And those are the states where we need to focus and make sure that people understand that when we talk about advanced recycling, we're not talking about necessarily waste to energy. We're taking and we're breaking the product back down to the monomer, to the pyrolysis oil state, and bringing it right back to the virgin material. And we need to be doing that in critical applications like food and medical to be able to have that recycled content, to be able to have that broad impact when it comes to the circular economy, those are some of those critical things. And that's why that education piece is so critical. It's not just for the general consumer, it's for the broad consumer base 
and eliminating that misinformation that then is taken forward by people in a policy and legislative position. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things you talked about is kind of the, the consequences of these the legislative actions and understanding the impact, right? So, I mean, I think we saw the downsides of some of these things, like certainly if we think about energy, some of the energy policies in Europe that have had negative consequences when there wasn't wind energy available, right? I mean, so there's the knock-on effects of all this. I think when we start looking at these targets for 2030 and 2050 about recycled content, it's hard to see a glide path there very easily because the infrastructure is not there. The value chain is disconnected at this point in time. Yeah, that infrastructure, I just comment around that infrastructure and the recycle stream is today. And this is, I think, one of the most critical points is when it comes to the quality and in-feed and supply, it's not there yet. We're on this evolution and this trajectory. We're going to get there, but we're still in that infancy. So taking and having the highest quality PCR, continuous improvement type of situation, and we'll eventually get there. But where we are today isn't where we need to be. We'll be right back. Support for this episode comes from ChemDirect. ChemDirect is an all-in-one commerce platform to buy and sell chemicals online. Shop online to get products in days instead of weeks at a highly competitive price. If you're a supplier, you can launch a fully resourced digital channel for free. Now, we all know that digital is getting more and more important in chemicals, and that's something we discuss regularly on The Chemical Show. ChemDirect is here to help make it happen. Head on over to chemdirect.com to check them out and use the code CHEMSHOW20 for a 20% discount on your first order. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Pregis. What's Pregis's approach on sustainability and recycling? What are kind of some of the key activities that Pregis is taking on today? Yeah. So I think one of my most passionate reasons for being a part of Pregis is their position in regards to sustainability and what we've been able to develop and do over the course of the past 14 months and continue to evolve on that. But it really lies and revolves around three, call it pillars. So it's to protect, preserve, and inspire. So the protection aspect is protecting products. It's eliminating of reshipments on that traditional Pregis side of the business where it's been around protective packaging. But then focused on our flexible blown film side of things, it's really about food preservation and eliminating waste, eliminating food waste and things of of that nature. The preserve aspect is preserving the environment, making sure that we're not impacting, that we're reducing our impact on the environment through all different sorts of various initiatives and our commitment to the climate pledge and our commitment and membership within the Alliance and Plastic Waste and a number, I mean, the Flexible Packaging Association as well, and a number of other things. And then our Inspire is one of the things that that I personally probably connect with the most because my mission, if you ask for, for as long as I can remember, has been to positively impact people. And Inspire is just that. It's about having an impact on people Uh, the people in which we operate, the communities in which we live, and on a global basis. And we also have our Inspire product line. So if you ever see a blue inflatable or blue bubble wrap 
most likely that's that's ours. And why it has that blue tint is we're associated with an organization called Uzima. So part of the proceeds from that product line go to bringing water filtration to at-risk or communities that have been faced with a natural disaster and they don't have access to clean drinking water. And that's one of the things that a lot of us take for granted is our access to clean drinking water. And so making sure that we're having and investing and having that positive impact on people is really what is foundational within that Inspire pillar. But all of that comes together to really round out our overarching uh, sustainability focus. Got it. Makes sense. That's very cool. So I'm going to loop back onto the Emerging Leadership Council. And I think it ties into this positively impacting people, right? So as part of the Flexible Packaging Association, you founded the Emerging Leadership Council. Mm -hmm. What is it? And I guess, why does it matter? Yeah. So growing up around the industry and and actually, while I was a student at Clemson, I won the Flexible Packaging Association's scholarship. A fan of the Flexible Packaging Association, obviously, and just had noticed that there was a high level of engagement as far as higher level within organizations, but as far as visibility for others and just the development of people within the association wasn't really happening. And I also did some research into understanding membership and membership retention and family-owned businesses were coming into the next generation and they were saying and going to these meetings saying, well, I don't really want to hang out with these people. I don't really know them. I'm not really connected. We're just going to leave. And that's not what we need. We need to be connected, cohesive, and progress as, as an industry. So I brought forward this idea to really create engagement, to bring that next generation of leadership along for the ride and really sustain and help sustain the industry for many generations to come. And I think one of the big things was getting these people engaged and making sure that this wasn't just going to become a millennial party, that this was going to be an action-based group that was going to make progress, that was going to bring a different dimension to the association and to the industry to really create a separation between the flexible packaging industry as a whole versus others. And so we have four basic committees that all roll up into the Flexible Emerging Leadership Council focused on education, which speaks to what we were talking about earlier about educating younger people and older people as well on the value of the flexible packaging industry. Recruitment and leadership development is, is all under one. And Within recruitment, we have an intern program that is conducted throughout the summer. And it's an internship program that is, we're pulling, we're bringing together interns from all different companies to have a weekly interaction for about an hour, hour and a half, whether it's across companies. programming across companies. That's so pretty this cool. This creates a network, all those interns with other interns, but also with the members of the ELC. So we will have weekly engagements on it's a small group so we can learn from each other they can ask for advice that they don't maybe necessarily feel comfortable asking their boss so it's kind of creates a safe space for them and really creates differentiation because i don't know of an industry anywhere that has something like this and then we also have 
a committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is something that I'm really passionate about to make sure that everyone feels like they can bring their whole selves to work and to the industry and really make sure we're getting differing perspectives and different ideas. So what this committee is doing really focused on right now is creating a playbook and programs that member companies can roll out within their organization. And they don't necessarily have the... Maybe they don't have the horsepower, the capability to do something like this, but we give them out of the box kind of a way and a guide path to being able to do that. The fourth is advocacy. So this is all about advocating and understanding policy and the policy-related conversations. This is being engaged in those conversations and creating tools and guidance for the member companies as well. So that's really how the ELC came to be and what it's become and it's having an impact. If people wanted to be part of the Emerging Leadership Council, how do they do that? Is, can they join or is it a nomination? Yeah. So in order to be a part of the ELC, you first have to be a part of an FPA member company. If you are a part of a member company, there is a nomination. So whoever serves as the primary member within the FPA would be able to nominate you. Got it. Awesome. Sounds like a really a great organization. And I know one of the things we talked about before we started recording was just even this need to enable that next generation of leadership, right? To be able to lead, to be able to have that impact, to have the networks. I think the fact that you've created an intern network across companies is really powerful, right? Because I think I know personally, one of the hardest things about going to an industry group, you didn't call it out, but I'll call it out. It's it's the gray hairs, right? It's always the gray hairs are there. They all seem to know each other already. Right. So figuring out how to break in when you're not part of the in crowd is really difficult. And so helping people create that network early in their career is really, really helpful and really unique. Yeah, I totally agree. And I probably would say I've tried to be a part of that in crowd, but it's fine if I could say I'm maybe I'm halfway into the the in crowd. But if I only was part of that in crowd, well, in 10, 15 years, I'll be sitting there by myself and finding ways to bring others along for the ride, finding ways to create engagement and leverage their learning. But also, if you look at it more long term, is making sure that we have sustained success and sustained leadership and really create that continuous bright light as far as the future is concerned. And always going into the mindset is the best is yet to come for the industry. And in order for that to be a reality, we have to continuously pull great people and great minds and people with passion. And we have to bring all that together to make sure we continuously advance. Yeah, makes sense. That's really awesome. Really awesome. So it sounds like you've got a lot of great things on your plate and that you are working on. So what's next for you? What's next for Pregis? What's next for flexible packaging? What do you see coming up? Yeah. So that's probably one of the coolest questions I've ever been asked because there's just so much. As far as Pregis is concerned, we're in a tremendously awesome position in that we are material neutral. And we have a material neutral offering of paper and plastic. But we have the science and fact-based knowledge and awareness to support that. And that makes us 
I think, very well positioned to be a part of these conversations in regards to on the state level. And so we're going to continue to be engaged there, continuing to make sure that the voice of sustainable packaging is heard. And it's sustainable packaging is not one material or the other. There's no silver bullet. We got to be about collaboration and partnership. But we've invested significantly in our blown film extrusion capabilities over the course of the past 18 months. And we have a significant and further investment in in that area, which is an area of within the blown film category has not really seen a relevant major player come into the market in many, many years. So we're going to continue there and we're going to continue to focus on all of the other categories and whether that's bagging or whether that's surface protection or whether that's inside the box protection or whether that's our systems approach. There's so much excitement right now within Pregis. But within the flexible packaging industry, I think we've got so much horsepower right now and so much positive momentum. Do we have some some turbulent waters ahead and facing some of the legislative conversations? Sure. But the facts don't lie. I mean, you brought up the McKinsey study. The value that flexible packaging brings and plastic packaging brings and plastics more broadly brings to the everyday consumer is real. And we have to continue to find ways to showcase that to consumers. And I think at the end of the day, the future is bright. There's a lot of passionate people within the industry, within plastics and packaging as a whole. And I'm excited to be along for the ride. And at the end of the day, creating ways to make those gray hairs, what they've left behind and what they enabled, because at the end of the day, we wouldn't have anything had it not been for the roads and the bricks that they had laid. And we got to make sure we continue. And we're not going to do it necessarily the same way they did. We're going to do things a little bit different, but that's okay. And as long as we make sure to continuously improve and continuously evolve, and have the consumer at mind will be everything we need to. Awesome. Well, that's great. I really appreciate you joining me today, Jonathan. This has been a great conversation. I think people are going to love learning more about your perspectives and the work that you and Pregis and the Flexible Packaging Association are doing. So thanks for joining us on The Chemical Show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and all the work and creating this visibility to everything that's taking place because... It's very much needed. And I know that I appreciate it and others do as well. Well, thank you for that. And thanks everyone for joining today. Stay tuned for the next episode. We'll see you soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.